In late March 1996, zoologist Ron McGill pulled up to a house in Sweetwater, a neighborhood near Miami. He stepped into the muggy heat and looked around. 69 dead goats, chickens, and geese lay scattered in the yard like wildflowers. An elderly woman who lived nearby was frantic. She claimed she saw the monster that did this. It had stood on two legs and looked at her square in the face with its crimson red eyes. It could have only been one animal, the Puerto Rican bloodsucker, the chupacabra. McGill knelt for a closer look at one of the goats. It was just as the chupa believers claimed. The goat had puncture wounds in its neck, but no blood, as if something had dug its teeth into the pale flesh and sucked it empty like a juice box. But McGill knew appearances could be deceiving. He needed to look deeper, so he took out his knife and plunged it into the creature's carotid artery. A slow, cold trickle of blood leaked down his silver blade. The carcass was filled to the brim. McGill realized no one had performed any kind of post-mortem on these alleged vampire victims and no one could prove an animal was sucked dry without a professional examination. He folded his knife and stood up. Although he didn't know what exactly had slaughtered these goats, he knew it couldn't have been the chupacabra. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on the Chupacabra, a vampire-like beast that first appeared in Puerto Rico in 1995. In its wake, it left a trail of dead livestock, pets, and wildlife. Last time, we met Mayor Jose Chemo Soto, the vampire hunter who was determined to capture the beast. And we discussed a DNA test that could explain what exactly the creature was. Today, we'll cover the results of that test before heading to a Chilean mine where NASA may have discovered a whole family of chupacabras. Finally, we'll unveil the real terror Puerto Ricans feared. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Oh, 
Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Halloween 2007. Phyllis Canyon stood on the stage at KENS Studios. On live TV, the hosts were about to reveal the results of an important DNA test. Finally, Canyon would know if she truly discovered the world's first dead chupacabra. Over the last few months, she'd spoken with chupacabra experts, given tours, and even sold merchandise that celebrated her find. But if she was wrong, she'd look like a fool in front of the whole world. Before the cameras started rolling, a professor from the Department of Biology at Texas State University joined Canyon on stage. His name was Michael Forstner, and he'd performed the DNA examination. Forstner and Canyon explained a pleasant hello. Then they were live. The host welcomed the audience for the special event. He held up a closed envelope with the results inside, like an Academy Award presenter. He slowly opened it. As he did, Canyon appeared calm, even as sweat dotted her forehead. The host read the printed paper. He revealed the strange animal Canyon had found was, in fact, a coyote. Canyon frowned. This was the last conclusion she'd expected to hear. Forstner explained his analysis, saying the DNA was, quote, a virtually identical match. He'd originally believed the animal would be a pet dog, but the test was 97% certain. Canyon demanded to know why her hairless blue-gray chupacabra looked nothing like a coyote. And Professor Forstner gave a small shrug. He said it probably had mange. Mange is a skin disease that afflicts all animals. Parasitic mites burrow under the carrier's skin, producing eggs and organic waste. While the mites themselves don't cause harm, their byproducts can trigger an allergic reaction. In humans, this is just an intense itch. But for wild animals like coyotes, fur sheds and is replaced by oozing sores and thickened, crusty patches. The inflamed skin is so itchy, the diseased dog will rub itself against trees and rocks, scraping away the hair and layers of skin. Long term, it could be fatal. Professor Forstner told the audience most animals lose only some fur, but a severe case could result in complete baldness, leaving only diseased skin. The news was disappointing for the KENS audience. Viewers switched channels to something else, convinced the Puerto Rican vampire was little more than a rumor. But the results did not change Canyon's mind. She knew a coyote had a normal set of teeth, and her sample had two long fangs. Coyotes also dragged their prey into the wilderness to feed on later, whereas her chupacabra lapped up the blood and then left the bodies behind. Soon after the televised event, she did an interview with the Paranormal Cafe podcast. Although she admitted she wasn't an expert, she said she knew DNA tests could be faulty. 
It was impossible the animal she'd discovered was all coyote. Her chupa expert friends weighed in. In an online forum, one of her supporters pointed out a flaw in Forstner's analysis. The professor had examined mitochondrial DNA, which only reveals the sample's maternal lineage. It said nothing about the mysterious creature's father. So, Canyon and her allies developed a new theory. Earlier that year, she discovered two dead chupacabras on the same day. Perhaps these beasts were siblings, the offspring of a mother coyote and a papa vampire. Perhaps the chupacabra wasn't just attacking animals around the world. It was also making chupa babies. And its descendants may have made it all the way to the mainland United States. Two years after the broadcast in Blanco, Texas, a farmer heard something attack his chickens in his barn. He stormed through the doors, but the small varmint escaped out the back. He thought it was just a raccoon, so the rancher set out poisoned meat. When he checked the next morning, the predator was dead. The ploy had worked. But when he looked closely, he realized it was no raccoon. Curled up in the fetal position, the creature looked identical to the Cuero chupacabra he'd read about in the papers. It was shaped like a coyote, but mostly hairless. Tufts of light grayish-brown fur sprouted between the shoulder blades. The bare skin was thick and leathery, with a black or gray luster. The farmer contacted his cousin. They figured they needed a real expert to identify this animal. So they reached out to Jerry Ayer, a 20-year taxidermy veteran who even owned a school that taught the craft in Blanco. Ayer understood most of the local wildlife, inside and out. But when he saw the corpse, he was stumped. Ayer worked out a deal so he could take the animal home and examine every part of the alleged chupacabra. He cut up, stuffed, and mounted the corpse. He posed the monster on all fours with its back high and its head low in a menacing stance. He wanted the unusual beast to look as frightening as possible. Word spread of Ayer's chupacabra, and reporters soon arrived at his doorstep. When they released photos of the animal, chupa fans went wild. This was even more exciting than Canyon's head in the freezer. For the first time ever, they saw what a chupacabra might look like alive. Ayer's taxidermied canine may be the strongest piece of evidence of the chupacabra's existence. The hairless, dog-like predator is the most popular image of the mythical monster today, even superseding the original version, which was more alien-like. But Ayer was more grounded than the chupa fans. He'd cut into countless wild dogs and other Texas critters. He knew what to look for to determine if the beast was truly special. And inside the chupacabra, he found typical coyote bones. When tracking the chupacabra author Benjamin Radford interviewed him, Ayer admitted he thought the chupacabra stories were just superstition and legend. He told Radford his stuffed dog was likely a crossbreed of wolf, coyote, and some other animal. It may have had a genetic defect or carried a debilitating strain of mange. That said, in his 20 years of taxidermy, he'd never seen one this badly mutilated. 
Radford asked why he still called the specimen a chupacabra. Ayer Riley answered, because that's what the fans called it. Following in Ayer's footsteps, experts debunked the major chupacabra finds all across the United States. In the mid-1990s, zoologist Ron McGill examined 69 of the chupacabra's alleged victims. He cut into a dead goat's throat and blood pooled from the wound. McGill also found dog tracks throughout the grounds. Despite the hype, he believed the attacker wasn't a mythical monster, just a pack of feral dogs. The consensus was that these coyote-like specimens weren't real chupacabras, and the beast likely never appeared on the mainland. However, that doesn't explain the original sightings in Puerto Rico, which were quite different. When Madeline Tolentino first spotted the chupacabra in 1995, it had large black eyes, spines on its back, three-toed feet, and walked on two legs like a humanoid. There's no way Tolentino could have mistaken it for an ordinary animal. Which is why some believe the chupacabra was actually created by humans. Coming up, scientists invent a monster. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the podcast series, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In 2007, DNA results proved Phyllis Canyon's chupacabra was 97% coyote. Likewise, David Ayer's stuffed canine was just a sick animal. But those were only the chupacabras in the mainland U.S. There was still no explanation for the spiny reptilian monster in Puerto Rico. And if science couldn't reveal where the chupacabra came from, perhaps the island's grueling history could. In 1898, the U.S. colonized Puerto Rico, turning it into a territory. From then on, the states had immense power over the islanders. Scientists and doctors exploited them for research. 
They experimented on everything from wild monkeys to pet dogs to, worst of all, humans. One disturbing case occurred in the 1930s. Oncologist Cornelius Rhodes wrote a note confessing to racist thoughts against Puerto Ricans. Then he said, quote, I have done my best to further the process of extermination by killing off eight and transplanting cancer into several more. Although Dr. Rhodes later claimed this was a joke, the islanders viewed him as a serial killer. It didn't help that Rhodes received no punishment and went on to become a hero in cancer research. Then, around the 1950s, American health officials traveled through rural Puerto Rican towns, pressuring women to get sterilized. Around one-third of the women on the island received what was called La Operación. Today, the Puerto Rican island of Vieques has the highest cancer rate in the world. Its cause? A nearby U.S. military testing site. If American scientists were capable of so much destruction, Puerto Ricans suspected they may have also been responsible for the chupacabra. Some theorized military scientists could have conducted gruesome experiments. They may have created a hybrid creature that then escaped. In 1995, when Madeline Tolentino first saw her reptilian biped, she noted how its skin looked burned and raw. Perhaps the injuries were scars from its violent escape. There's no proof the chupacabra was a Frankenstein-like experiment. But it's not surprising Puerto Ricans blamed the same institution that had wronged them so many times before. And they weren't the only ones. Chilean people also believed the United States was responsible for the monster. But rather than blame rogue doctors, they pointed the finger at the U.S. space program, NASA. In April 2000, Chilean press reported the first chupacabra attacks on its livestock. The country flew into a chupa frenzy, and local ufologists leapt into action. They poured through research and interviews and stumbled across an incredible story. In June, locals from the city of Calama, Chile, claimed to have spotted soldiers combing the northern Atacama Desert. They were on the hunt for something. Although the desert was massive, it was virtually uninhabitable. Nothing could survive for long without shelter. Just north of the city, they came upon an old mine. The soldiers descended, training their flashlights along the walls, hitting dead end after dead end. Finally, they came upon a chilling sight. A nest of strange creatures, possibly chupacabras. A mother, father, and child. When they drew closer, they also saw three unhatched eggs. The soldiers dragged the specimens to their nearby barracks, passing a few Kalama onlookers in the process. Soon afterward, black helicopters from NASA swooped in. Allegedly, the Americans collected the chupacabras, then took off. This suggested some kind of mysterious relationship between the U.S. and the chupacabra. Perhaps the monsters had gotten loose from a nearby base. UFO enthusiasts theorized aliens may have visited the NASA scientists, then left behind one of their own, or their weird pet dog. When the otherworldly creature escaped, NASA retrieved it from the cave. 
Or maybe the chupacabra was a space creature that had originated on Earth. Wild as it sounds, some believe the chupacabra was a genetically engineered hybrid species which NASA had created for a future mission to colonize Mars. However, these supposed eyewitness accounts were unconfirmed. Besides the local urban legends, there's no evidence of a chupacabra raid or a NASA cover-up. The UFO chasers likely used these rumors to further their own belief in a world filled with extraterrestrial visitors. Without any hard evidence to back up the wildest claims, eventually the general public became less interested in the chupacabra. And no matter how much effort the UFO fans put into their complex sci-fi theories, nothing held up to scrutiny. Tracking the Chupacabra author, Benjamin Radford, analyzed various sightings to determine what was really going on. He focused on Tolentino's first encounter in 1995. Most witnesses described the Chupacabra as looking like a dog or bat, but Tolentino said the creature was a freakish alien humanoid. Radford wondered why her account was so wildly different. It may have been because Tolentino was a science fiction fan. When Radford examined Jorge Martin's illustration of Tolentino's Chupacabra, it reminded him of the 1995 sci-fi horror hit, Species. In the film, Natasha Henstridge played a human-alien hybrid who wanted to mate and produce offspring. Her character had gray translucent flesh, its eyes were pitch black, and its long limbs ended in claws. Thick black spines ran up its back. The species alien and Tolentino's chupacabra were both hairless, spiny humanoid monsters with claws. When Radford compared the illustrations side by side with a frame from Species, the posture and features matched. Tellingly, Species reached Puerto Rican theaters in July 1995, one month before Tolentino's encounter. If she saw the sci-fi horror flick, the monster would have been fresh in her mind. So it's possible Tolentino only thought she saw a spiny alien, when really it was just her imagination. This would make sense considering the other sightings. Eyewitness descriptions of the chupacabra were inconsistent. It either resembled a reptile or a dog. It had large black eyes or small red eyes. It walked on two legs or four. It either had fur or was completely hairless. It didn't matter that none of these bloodsuckers looked the same. Witnesses seemed ready to call anything a chupacabra. Radford and other skeptics were confused as to why people were so eager to believe such a wild rumor. But their credulity may have been encouraged by the chupacabra's chief rival, Jose Chamo Soto, the vampire hunter of Canobanas. When Soto set out to capture and destroy the chupacabra, he may have unintentionally made it more powerful in the public consciousness. He could have legitimized the monster, transforming it from a rumor into a menace. His hunting party included people in positions of authority. These weren't pitchfork-wielding villagers, but police officers and prison guards. Soto even invited reporters to take photographs of the event. 
Although his hunts all came up empty-handed, he made the threat seem real. The Chupacabra wasn't a spooky campfire story anymore. It had become a matter of public safety. Soto was just the start of the Chupacabra's journey to mainstream acceptance. The Spanish-language talk show Christina brought the beast to the world stage. In spring 1996, host Christina Saralegui introduced the Chupacabra to a mainland U.S. audience. Experts like Soto and a veterinarian calling himself Dr. Chupacabras argued the vampire was very real and a genuine concern. These so-called experts were so believable, even Christina was convinced. It wasn't a coincidence that the creature then spread through the U.S. and Mexico, affecting communities that spoke Spanish, the language of the show. Soon after the episode, Miamians, Mexicans, and Texans also reported bizarre, inexplicable attacks on animals. And thanks to Christina, they had a haunting image ingrained in their imagination. When people experience something they don't understand, they'll fill in the details with their mind. All it takes is a kernel of an idea, like a monster from a movie or some unverified news on television. Then, a strange animal attack becomes a vampire sucking the life out of livestock. Psychologists call this state of mind magical thinking, and the phenomenon goes back centuries. However, there's a dark side to magical thinking. When inexplicable bad things happen, sometimes the superstitious don't blame an animal predator. Instead, they go after people. They accuse neighbors of being witches, demons, and even vampires. And sometimes they back up those allegations with real evidence. Coming up, the genuine terror behind fake monsters. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray strandum wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. Now, back to the story. Despite the flimsy scientific evidence, many people believed the chupacabra existed. That's partly because the media played a massive role in convincing audiences the vampire was real. While this accounts for the chupacabra obsession, it doesn't explain why many thought they spotted it before the widespread coverage. To understand this, we have to explore the myth behind the beast. In the 1700s, God-fearing Christians had no idea why bad things happened to good people. They wondered why God afflicted his devoted children with failed crops, famine, or daily suffering. Some blamed sin. 
If someone felt pain, sin must have wormed its way inside their home, likely through an outsider. So in 1725, when a disease ravaged Kisilova, Serbia, they believed an evil demon was behind the sickness. Magical thinking led them to blame Peter Plogojevic, even though he was already dead. And they seemed to confirm their suspicions when they dug him up to find his hair and nails had grown and fresh blood filled his mouth. However, today we have a better understanding of what happened. Plogievitz's horrifying-looking body was in a state of typical decay. His hair and nails hadn't actually grown. After death, the skin retracts and makes them appear longer. The most notable evidence of vampirism, the blood in his mouth, was another natural stage of decomposition. As the digestive system rots, bloating in the torso forces blood to well up into the mouth. Plogoyevitz wasn't a vampire draining the life from villagers, but he still served his purpose as a metaphor for the dangers sin posed. In South America, residents high in Andean peaks had their own vampire, the Likichiri, or fat stealer. Allegedly, at night, the Likichiri slipped into its sleeping victim's bedrooms. Brandishing a long, curved knife, sharp as a scalpel, it sliced them open to harvest their fat. But the Likichiri was no undead spirit. According to the myth, the thief was merely a white man collecting fat in order to sell it. The fear wasn't about sin, it was greed. This hints at the tragedy behind the Likichiri myth. From the time the first conquistadors arrived, powerful Western nations plundered the Andes. Latin Americans suffered from economic exploitation, and their magical thinking transformed the dread of foreign colonizers into a white man with a massive scalpel. The chupacabra wasn't so different from the Likichiri. It may have also been a stand-in for a malicious entity, one that sucked the life from Puerto Ricans and left families destitute. Their vampire was the United States of America. We've already covered the U.S.-run science experiments, the cancer scandal, and the military test zones. But the vampirism was economic as well. In the 1900s, the United States transformed the territory from an agricultural economy to a factory-based one. This allowed new businesses to flourish, but it only benefited foreign entrepreneurs. In 1984, hoof-and-mouth disease also spread through the island's livestock. To protect cattle on the mainland, the U.S. government ordered Puerto Ricans to slaughter all their pigs. Although these measures stopped the spread of the virus, communities suffered. Families went hungry, or they had to restructure their farms just to recoup the money they lost. In 1995, when a mysterious animal began attacking their goats, the pig slaughter of the decade before was still fresh in the ranchers' minds. Just like with the Likichiri, Puerto Ricans used myth to process their anxieties. They invented a cattle-killing vampire, a metaphorical monster that was everything America stood for. But starting around 2000, the monster stopped appearing in its motherland. As reports of wild dog attacks sharply rose, chupacabra sightings dropped. 
It's possible feral canines had been behind the legend all along. Many shrugged off the chupacabra as a misunderstanding. It went from a mysterious vampire at large to a hoax. Still, chupa believers from around the world carried the torch. In 2015, it even had a run-in with a celebrity. Movie star Johnny Depp claimed he was late to a press junket because a chupacabra hid in his luggage. He joked he wrestled the monster for several hours before he managed to toss it from the 23rd floor balcony. The alleged attack made headlines. A few individuals didn't get the humor and believed the actor really did toss an alien vampire from his skyscraper. Perhaps they just wanted to believe. That's what's so amazing about the chupacabra. Witness accounts differ when they describe its appearance, its origins, and its behavior. But people still think it's real. And with social media, so-called video proof of its existence is more prolific than ever. Cryptid enthusiasts regularly share footage and pictures of oddities they claim are chupacabras. Many resemble the two bald coyotes found in Texas. Others are more strange and devilish. Some photos merely depict a pair of huge glowing eyes lurking in the depths of the woods. The chupacabra still has plenty of fans. However, after 30 years, the legend's biggest supporter and its arch rival is no longer with us. In late 2021, Former Canobanos mayor and monster hunter Jose Chemo Soto fell ill. After several months in a cardiovascular center, he failed to recover. On December 27th, 78-year-old Soto passed away. But even on his deathbed, he never betrayed his beliefs. Soto maintained he knew the monster was real right up to the very end. He and many others lived their whole lives certain the chupacabra was out there. And whether the creature is a metaphor or a flesh-and-blood ravenous beast, they might be right. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries, We will be back next time with a new episode. For more information on the Chupacabra, amongst the many sources we used, we found Tracking the Chupacabra, the Vampire Beast in Fact, Fiction, and Folklore by Benjamin Radford extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Ben Caro and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Mm-hmm.